think about the prayer that Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see the link there? There's this link between what's going on on earth and what God's will is and what's going on in heaven. So if we're focused on God's will, well, where are we going to learn what God's will is? We need to go to scripture, right? We don't make it up. We don't just chat with friends and decide what we think God's will is. We go to God's word. And God's word shows us, teaches us that how we live matters. We are to live out our faith in Jesus Christ in the here and now, knowing this is not all there is. There is a kingdom that is coming. There is a heaven that is coming. But we're still called to be faithful here. I've called this this sermon series on Colossians Watershed. We had friends that were in town uh, last week and they came and they heard me preach. And she's like, it was really great. I really like your sermon. What in the world is that whole watershed thing? I was like, yeah, I guess I didn't really talk about it. So watershed. The idea of a watershed is something that makes a difference, particularly in water flow. Rain falls on one side of the mountain, it goes this way, or one side of a slope, it goes this way. On another side, it goes this way. And the idea that I think Paul is talking about in Colossians to that church then and to us today is Jesus makes a difference. It makes a difference. The gospel makes us different. We are not who we were. And I think today as Christians, and I think Christians throughout the ages have struggled with this, we we tend to just add Jesus onto our already full, busy lives. Hoping that thing, Jesus and faith and church, will just make us a little bit better. The gospel of Jesus Christ says the old you, with all that stuff, is crucified on the cross of Jesus, dead, buried, and gone. You're, you're not here to be just a little bit better. You're here to realize the old you is gone. And then we're raised to new life because Jesus, our Savior, rose from the dead. And because of that, Paul talks about in Colossians, after going into incredible theology about Jesus, who he is, and what he did for us, then he says, now this is how you should live. And he does talk about our focus. So he starts with, you need to be rooted in Jesus as you look at your life. Colossians 2, 6, and 7, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, and overflowing, or as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So he says, take that belief in Jesus. Draw your sustenance, your strength. Draw everything about who you are from who you are in Jesus Christ. And then he says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, since then you've been raised with Christ. Uh, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So, so there's that heavenly minded. It's true. Paul challenge, challenges us to change our focus from here and now and the stuff of this world and what we want to raise our gaze up to our Savior Jesus Christ who reigns on high. And then in the rest of chapter 3, Paul talks about everyone being equal in Jesus Christ. No, no one is greater than anybody else. He says we are equal in sin. He talks about that more in Romans chapter 3, 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we're equal in sin. But he also talks about we're equal in Christ. In Colossians 3, 11, he uses this phrase. We looked at this, I think it was last week. Here in Christ, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
And these were divisions that they used in their society to kind of say, oh, you're just, you're just one of those people. Kind of those categories, those labels. I don't need to love you because you're one of those people. So those are kind of some of their categories. And he's going, wait a minute. God doesn't look at people that way. God doesn't look at people as one of those people. He looks at people as people that he created and people that he wants to save through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying we need to look at people that way as well. But there's some big questions that come out of this. And that's where Paul's going to go now. Because these are great theories. These are great practices, great ideas, but we live in the here and now in the day-to-day mundane relationships of this world. And it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I believe in all this. This is so great. But how do we live it now? How does it impact when you get up tomorrow morning and you say hi to your spouse or your kids and how you treat them? How does it impact when you go to work and your motivation for why you're working in that place. And I think people in Paul's day would have had the same questions. Does this focus on heaven that Paul's commanding, does that mean we should just ignore everybody around us? I don't have to live in relationship with these people. It's me and Jesus, me and Jesus, don't care about you. Is that what he's talking about? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. What about authority? Well, if I'm a child of the king and you're a child of the king, how can anybody have any semblance of authority over anybody else? Should we just throw off all layers of authority, all levels of society and say, well, I'm new in Jesus Christ. I'm going to live however I want. And Paul says, no. So he's going to get into the nitty gritty of day-to-day relationships. So we need to look at the truth as we think about this watershed issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to look at how the gospel changes relationships. The gospel changes relationships. In Colossians 3, 18 to chapter 4, verse 1, we have what is known as a household code. Okay? Household code. Kind of like a code of ethics. It's like some people have that that plaque on their wall in this house, we blah, 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 you know, and it kind of lays out who they are and, you know, it's cute and sweet and hopefully motivational, hopefully. Not always honest, but it's cute and sweet and motivational. That's kind of what this is, but even more so. The household codes are not just a scriptural thing. The scripture writers are actually taking from things that were in their culture. We have found in literature codes, lists, very similar to what Paul wrote, from other authors of their day. So he's tying into and using something they were very much familiar with. Now, some of these things are going to deal with some very difficult issues for us today that were just part of their normal day-to-day lives. The big one, slavery. It's going to deal with masters and slaves. And we want Paul to stand up and say, slavery is evil in all of its forms. Do away with slavery. And that's not what he does. He says, look, if you're a slave, you need to live for Jesus. If you're a master, you need to live for Jesus. So we'll talk about that. But I want to make sure we get the big picture before we dig into some of the details or we'll lose what I think is Paul's emphasis here. First of all, we need to understand how they would have heard this. And so we need to become a little bit familiar with their understanding of household codes and Roman society. And I know that just gets you so energized and pumped up. Okay, we're going to get historical here. 
I want to quote from a guy, you, you might have heard this name, his name was Aristotle. Anybody heard of Aristotle? Kind of a big deal. Big writer. He wrote um, about 350 years before Christ was born. He was part of Greek culture, but Rome kind of took over Greek culture and incorporated a lot of it. Listen to what Aristotle wrote in his treatise called Politics. He said, of household management, we have seen that there are three parts. One is the rule of a master over slaves, which has been discussed already. Another of a father and the third of a husband. Sound familiar? A husband and father, we saw, rules over wife and children, both free, but the rule differs. The rule over his children being a royal, over his wife, a constitutional rule. For although there may be exceptions to the, and listen to this phrase, the order of nature. The male, this, I just, I feel the need to step aside. This is Aristotle, not scripture. And I don't agree with what I'm about to read. Just want to be clear, okay? We need to understand what they believed. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than the female, just as the elder and full-grown is superior to the younger and more immature. Okay? Now, understand what Aristotle is saying because this is fundamental to how the Romans viewed their society. And if we can get this right and understand this, we'll understand that what Paul is saying is absolutely revolutionary. It would have been shocking to them. We read it and go, oh man, Paul, you didn't go far enough. It was shocking to them. For the Roman society, the reason society was ordered the way it was in their thinking is because certain people were by nature better than other people. The man was better of higher value than the wife. The parents or the father, that word can be used interchangeably, was better or of higher value, not just more authority, but literally better and of higher value than the children. Masters were better and of higher value than their slaves. In fact, when they address these household codes and how the house should operate, because this is how Roman household was, you'd have husbands, wives, parents, children, and, and slaves were a part of the household. They would address the one in authority. They wouldn't address the other people. You don't find Roman household codes talking much about how the wife should live or how the children should live or how the slaves should live. Because they were of lesser value, they would address the important person. Because it was the role of the important person. Again, I don't agree with this. I'm so, you know, this stuff goes on the internet and like people are going to take a quote out. Listen to what Pastor Dave Day said. I don't agree with this. This is their culture. Good old internet. Ruins everything. All right. They would address the one that they perceived to be of higher value because it was the role of the person that had higher value to make sure the other people did what they did. That's how it worked. The structure of their society depended on keeping these relationships intact. Rome and Roman Empire in particular had a huge amount of slaves. And if this societal structure was upset, they knew their empire was in big trouble. They had to maintain the proper levels of who was more important than who. The husbands ruled over their wives the parents ruled over, especially the father, over their children, and the masters ruled over their slaves. Anything that would be perceived to question this 
or to, to kind of upset that fruit basket was inherently dangerous to them. Now Christianity comes along. And Jesus and his apostles start preaching, in Christ we're all equal. Look at these passages and, and think, hear these through the lens of what I just read and what I just told you about Roman society and think about what they would have thought was being taught. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, there goes Roman society. Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. How can he not show favoritism in the Roman mind if one person was literally of not just more importance, but of greater value and moral culpability than anybody else? How can you not show favoritism? Of course you show favoritism. That's the natural order of things. And the Bible says, no, that's not who God is. And that's not how he works. Think about the words of Jesus Christ. John 13, verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. See, Paul is preaching that there is equality, in, or I'm sorry, Jesus is talking about equality in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So here's the big question that would have been on their minds. Does being saved by Jesus mean that we get to ignore the relationships that are a part of our society? For them, is Paul saying, and is Jesus saying, forget all of the relationships in your society, you can ignore them and treat other people however you want, because you're free in Jesus Christ. And there's a subtle question underneath all of that. Was Christianity trying to overthrow the Roman Empire? Because that's what they would have heard When you're questioning these relationships, they would have heard you're trying to overthrow our society. And is that what Christianity is trying to do? Overthrow human rules and regulations and empires? On the one hand, no. On the other hand, absolutely. But in a much greater way. Now, let's look at Paul's household code here in Colossians. Let me read the whole thing. Then we're going to go through a couple big picture ideas, and then we're going to pick it apart um, relationship by relationship very quickly. First of all, listen to and follow along Romans, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. By the way, just in case you don't know this, chapter breaks, verse breaks, not a part of scripture. Those were put in later to help us find stuff. So this is like one of those places I think they kind of blew where they put the chapter break in. There's an old joke about some guy riding on a horse and wherever his pen kind of dripped ink, that's where he put, I don't think that's true, but sometimes it feels a little bit that way. Scripture inspired by the word of God, authoritative. Chapter and verse breaks, not so much. Okay, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of, their, of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
It is the Lord Jesus, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. These Christians, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, master, because as far as we can tell, the reason Paul addresses all these people in this letter, he does it in Ephesians, there's a similar one written by Peter, I think it's First Peter, they're writing these things because all of these people were getting saved by Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the wealthy or just the men or just the women or just the slaves. You had a church that outside the church and outside of the church meeting was part of this society that said, you're greater than somebody else. You shouldn't be with them because you're so much greater. And then they come together in Jesus Christ and they're worshiping together. And they're valuing each other different than the culture around them because of their salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul wants each and every one of them to know how to apply the gospel to their situation. I think Paul, as an apostle, kind of like a pastor, he wants, I'm not equating those two things, I want to be careful, but with a pastoral heart, he wants them to say, okay, we talked about all this deep theology and you need to know this, but I also want to help you to apply it to your day-to-day lives. So we're going to look at these relationships specifically, but first we need to get the big picture. Here's the big picture under all of these relationships. Focus in the relationship on Jesus Christ. For the Greeks and the Romans, their relationships were focused on maintaining order and emphasizing the value of the individual. Maintaining order and emphasizing the value of the individual. I look at you and I think, are you lesser or greater than me? That dictates how I treat you and how you treat me and whether or not one of us needs to submit to the other. Certain people were in authority because in their mindset, they actually were better, greater, and more able to make moral decisions, and other people were just not capable. That's Roman thinking. But look at some of the key differences in Paul's household code here in Colossians. It's a tongue twister. Uh, Verse 18. Wives are to submit to their husbands, and I know we all cringe over that. Just hold on to that, okay? Look at why. Here's here's where I don't want to get lost in the details without getting the big picture. Why? Why submit? As is fitting in the Lord. That's revolutionary to them. People will be reading that. Oh, that's right. Wives submit to their husbands. Absolutely. As fitting in the Lord. What's that got to do with it? Husbands are just better. That's how they would have thought. He's like, no, no, no. That woman now stands in relationship to Jesus Christ. And she is defined by that relationship. Look at verse 20. Children are to obey their parents. That's where all the children cringe. For this pleases the Lord. Why? Because your parents greater than you? No. Because you're serving Jesus Christ. Look at verses 22 to 25. Addressing slaves. This is the longest part in this passage in Paul's household code. We'll look at why in a second. 
Look at verse 22. Slaves are to obey their earthly masters out of reverence for the Lord. Verse 23, they are to work as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Verse 24, they are to do this because they will receive an inheritance from the Lord because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says to slave masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair because these slave masters know that they also have a master in heaven. You see the focus? Paul is lifting their gaze. Roman society said, you look at that person and you understand whether they're greater or lesser than you. The gospel comes in and says, wait a minute, we're all equal in Jesus Christ. Lift your gaze up to your true master, your true Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. You define yourself there. And then you live that out in the relationships that you are in. Christ changes our human relationships by calling us to focus on him not on the relationship. Another way that this passage talks about how Christ changes our human relationships is by shifting the focus of the relationship off of ourselves. He he changes our human relationships by shifting the focus of our relationship. Their relationships were focused on status and role. In our culture, what's interesting is I don't think that always applies occasionally, some ways, not the way it did for them. But I think our culture is different. Instead of focusing on the other people and whether they're lesser or greater than us, we focus on ourselves. What do I want and am I getting what I want out of this relationship? So yeah, our culture's come a long way, vastly different than the Roman culture, still completely wrong. Our focus is still in the wrong place. And this is why I wanted to look at the big picture. Because when we get into these details, we want to argue, well, that was them. It doesn't apply to us. This absolutely applies to us. For us as Christians, if you are a Christian, relationships are to be focused on Jesus Christ. How can I worship Jesus in this relationship? That's what we're called to do. This is a key, and and I would say the first fundamental key difference between these household codes in Scripture versus in Roman society and culture. The first key difference is that we have a change in focus from each other to Jesus Christ. Now let's look at another key difference. There is a focus on personal responsibility. I love that word responsibility. I know, again, it makes some of us shudder. See, the word comes from these ideas of being able to respond. You are able to respond. You have a responsibility. You're able to take action. You're able to do something. You are able to take and have a response. Now, in the Greek and Roman household codes, the focus was on authority and maintaining authority. That's why they only addressed those in authority. Roman household codes addressed the husband, the father, and the master. They didn't address anybody else because they weren't responsible I'm not saying they didn't have responsibilities as we think of it. They weren't good enough to be able to make the choice to respond. That wasn't their job. It was everybody else's job to keep them in line. It's Roman culture. Did you notice the order that Paul writes this in? Who does he address first? Husbands or wives? Wives. Who does he address first? Fathers or children? Children. Who does he address first? Slaves or masters? Slaves. The fact that he addresses wives, children, and slaves at all was so fundamentally revolutionary to them. We don't understand that today. 
The fact that he addresses them first was offensive to them. It's Paul coming in and saying the kingdom of Jesus Christ works different. The New Testament household codes were absolutely countercultural and revolutionary. They address each person, no matter their value or place in society, as being able to make choices and decisions before God. That's why wives submit to your husband. In Roman culture, you didn't tell the wife to submit. You told the husband to make her submit. That's how they thought. He's coming to the wife and saying, woman, you're created by God. You're saved by Jesus Christ. You stand in relationship to him. You get to make choices. Choose to worship the Lord in your relationship with your husband. He's coming to the children and even to the slaves that everybody said you're nothing. And he says, you are valued by God. He saved you. He created you. You are able to make choices. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to worship God? Or are you going to live out the ideals of your culture? We have to understand how revolutionary this was. For them, they didn't look at at relationships through the lens of other people making choices. They looked at it through structure and order and authority and who was greater or lesser. Now today, I think we look at relationships through a lens of kind of a, a conditionality or being conditional. Are we getting what we want out of the relationship? And that's how we look at the relationship. If I'm getting what I want out of the relationship, great, I'm all in. If I'm not, boom, I'm out. And scripture comes along and he says, wait a minute. First of all, if you're focusing on Jesus Christ, it's not about getting what you want. It's about what honor to your Savior. Then, what are you going to do with your own personal responsibility? It's your choice and it's your call to reflect Jesus Christ in that relationship. That's why you're in that relationship. We are able to reflect Jesus in our relationships no matter what the other person does. That's rubber meets the road, and that's hard. Because we want to say, wait a minute, they've done this, or they've changed, or they treat me this way, or I'm not getting what I want out of it, so I'm out of here. But Paul comes back and says, wait a minute, you're focused on the other person. Look at yourself. How are you worshiping, serving, and trusting in Jesus Christ in how you treat this person? We are able to respond based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter the situation. These things were so revolutionary to them. It wouldn't have made sense. It was like a foreign language, I think, in Roman society. And yet Paul's coming along and he's applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to their day-to-day relationships. Now, briefly, we need to look at each one of these relationships. One commentator said this, and I put this under focus on serving others. This is the change. It's not about maintaining order or structure. It's serving. Every person focused on serving one another. One commentator says this, the gospel does not erase our human relationships or even our obligations. It transforms transforms them. So how do we live in relationships here and now, earthly relationships, in such a way that we live the gospel? How do we do that? So he turns to wives and husbands in verses 18 and 19. First of all, amazing he addresses the wives at all. We need to understand how countercultural, how countercultural that was. They were to submit to their husbands with the purpose of as is fitting 
in the Lord. Submission means to live under the authority of someone else. Living in submission is not just to the women in the church. It was applied to all Christians. Submission in the Christian life is a fundamental demonstration of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are called to submit to one another. We are called to appropriately submit to authority. And yes, Scripture teaches in the context of marriage, women are to submit to their husbands. But what's interesting in Scripture is that that person was to to make a faith-filled decision to submit. There's no forcing her to submit. The husband isn't called to make her submit. The church isn't called to make her submit. She is called as an act of faith and reverence to Jesus Christ to submit. Listen to another quote. Submission suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. To submit is to recognize a relationship of order established by God. But submission to any human is always conditioned by the ultimate submission that each believer owes to God. In any hierarchy we can imagine, God stands at the top of the chart. This means then that a wife will sometimes have to disobey a husband, even a Christian one, if that husband commands her to do something contrary to God's will. Even as she disobeys, however, she can continue to submit, in a sense, by recognizing that her husband remains her head, not just her ultimate head, or just not her ultimate head. The point there is that our submission is always first and foremost to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible would never tell anyone to go against what God says as an act of submission to someone else. Okay? We always submit to God first. But then in our relationships, part of our displaying our trust in Jesus Christ is that in that moment when we say, I want to get what I want, but I'm in this relationship and this person has been given authority over me, I will choose to submit. Not to get what I want, not for that person to get what I want, but to point people to Jesus Christ. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. This was so... This made no sense in Roman household codes. The husbands weren't to love their wives and do not be harsh to them. They were to make sure their wives submitted. That's how they saw it. Paul just turns this on its head. In fact, he explains this in Ephesians 5 where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I love using this in wedding ceremonies. So we get to the wives submit part and everybody groans, you know, especially, I mean, churchgoers and non-churchgoers are like, we don't like that. You get to the husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Everybody loves to focus on the wife and say, well, that's not fair. Fair? How can I, as a fallible human being, possibly love my wife as Christ loves the church? Who died and gave himself up for her. That is the ultimate sacrificial love. Paul's applying the gospel to the husband to say, you display Christ by giving up what you want for the sake of your wife as she is voluntarily submitting to you. And if we would all do that, the gospel would be on display. But instead, we all focus for, am I getting what I want out of this? Are you doing what I want? Let's negotiate a deal here. We need to allow the gospel to change our relationships. Children, obey your parents in everything. This straight out of the Old Testament teaching as well. Um, Obviously, again, obeying parents never means disobeying God in this sense. And again, the motivation for this pleases the Lord. 
I do want to move on to slaves. I don't. I mean, I'd like to skip this part um, because this is where so many people struggle. Throughout the history of the church, there have been times that people have used passages like this and others to justify the horrendous immoral act of slavery. And I use those words very carefully and very intentionally. The Bible never teaches that slavery is right or good. Never. It was a reality of the world they lived in, and Scripture taught people to think in terms of faith in God and Jesus Christ in those relationships. And yeah, sometimes we wish Scripture would come along and say, overthrow slavery because it's wrong and evil. Instead, what it says to the slave is, think about how you can worship Christ in this crummy situation that you're in. How can you serve Jesus? Paul's concern, and I would say Scripture's concern, is not with overthrowing the structures of society, but teaching us how to live as Christians in those structures, even when those structures are wrong. I think as Americans, we need to hear this in particularly. Again, not related to slavery, but so often we want to say the structure's wrong. It's so wrong. So I'm going to live and do whatever I want and treat people however I want and say anything that I want. And the Bible says, no, wait a minute. Yeah, the structure's wrong. How are you going to live as a Christian in it? How are you going to display Jesus Christ in this messed up structure? Slaves in this passage were not just to serve, to get what they wanted from their masters or to not be punished. They were to serve as an act of worship. Friends, this, this has often been applied to work relationships. It's, it's an interesting application and it's hard, but I think it's proper. When you get up and go to work, what's your motivation? I'm not saying you're a slave. There are things that don't apply. But what's your motivation for serving? Well, maybe I can get a raise. Maybe I, you know, if I can get my boss to notice me, if I can get a little bit higher in the corporate ladder. And scripture comes along and says, wait a minute. You serve to worship Jesus Christ. That should be your motivation, whether anybody sees it or not. You serve for God's glory. Later, he says in verse 1, masters were to care for their slaves because they needed to know that they had a master in heaven. Now, it is fascinating, at least to me, probably don't care, but it's fascinating that slaves are talked about more in this passage than anybody else. I think there's a reason for that. Paul wrote this letter from prison, probably from Ephesus. We're not really sure. He wrote this letter. Now, there's no mail system, okay? Somebody has to carry the letter. Do you know who carried this letter? Where's this guy Tychicus who served with Paul and kind of might have been sort of a secretary for him? He went. But we also know from chapter 4, verse 9, that another guy went with him, a guy by the name of Onesimus. There's a whole book in Scripture about Onesimus. Now, it's not called Onesimus. It's known by another name, Philemon. Because the letter of Philemon was written to a guy, appropriately, named Philemon. And it was written about Onesimus. See, Philemon was a slave owner in the church in Colossae. Onesimus was his slave. And Onesimus ran away. And as far as we can piece together, as he's run away, at some point he comes in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ more than likely through Paul himself. And he gets saved. 
And what does Paul do? Does he say, well, you're saved now. Just go and live free. Just keep going, man. You're free in Jesus. No, he sends him back to his slave master that under Roman law could have had him put to death. That's what the book of Philemon is all about. We're not going to go into it today, but I highly recommend you read it through that lens. And I know you're going to read it and go, what does this have to do with us? Look at how Paul treats the situation. In a nutshell, he says to Philemon that Philemon is to receive Onesimus as a brother in Jesus Christ, not as a runaway slave. Think of how that would change our relationships if we really conceive of other Christians as as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And in the letter of Philemon, I believe that Paul strongly hints at the fact that if Philemon really took this seriously, he, he would set Onesimus free. Now, in each case here, wives and husbands, children, fathers, slaves and masters, each person was called to serve someone else. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And that's how we are to live our lives We are to serve Jesus by serving others in our earthly relationship. That's us living out the watershed issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes us, changes how we relate to other people. We've got to get this right in the church. We need to make sure, and I'm not saying this because I see issues in this church that I want to address. I want to be careful here. But we need to make sure we show the love of Jesus to one another, no matter who they are. And it's one of the things I love about this church. Whoever walks through those doors, people go up and say, hi, how are you? We don't treat people different. We need to do this in our day-to-day lives, even with people who aren't Christians, who won't understand and who won't reciprocate. We need to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this will show that we are appropriately heavenly-minded focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that as we do that, we know and believe that that can change this earthly world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are difficult issues. We're looking at some issues across the boundary of culture and history for some 2,000 years ago. And God, there's things we, we see different, we hear different, and we don't understand. And yet, Father, I believe the gospel was revolutionary then and still is now. And I pray that you give us eyes to see just how much so it was. Father, I pray for each person here that we would evaluate every relationship in our life, that we would fall on our knees and say, Father, show me how to live out my faith in Jesus in this relationship. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves Help us to take our eyes off of what society says is normal, natural, and right. Help us to put our eyes on you and say, I'm going to serve in this relationship for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true watershed issue in history and in the lives of every person who is saved. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.